Johnson, pack that up. Sir. Now wait! Now you listen to him. Just listen to him. You've got to listen to him. He's dead. How can you say that? Don't be an ass. The technical phrase, live or dead agents, is dead to us. Now they know he's there, we can't trust what he transmits. They'll show him what they want him to tell us is there. They're good. They're professionals. This was the discipline you admire. We trained him because we need it. Abandon him because we must. Il faut que je lis tous les paroles parce que elle vient de la faire il y a trois jours. Elle a seulement trois jours. Et et c'est pour ça que j'ai les paroles ici. Mais je vous promets que depuis aujourd'hui, elle va être très populaire en France. Vous voyez. Je pense. La mer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tinker Taylor Podcast Spy. I am one of your hosts, Tyler. With me is our other regular host, Max. Hello. And unfortunately, Emma couldn't make the episode today, but in her place, we got the next best thing, the Juno Award winner for best Canadian Twitter account. It's Don Hughes. Hi, Don. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hi, doing, doing well. Doing cool. good. As everyone knows, based on your Twitter pick, uh, you're a Jays fan. I'm a Jays fan. Jays are up 10 nothing or so right now. Yeah. So we're feeling good. Good times. It's great. it's great to date <laughs> a podcast recording to a specific <laughs> sure. baseball Well, they don't game. know what game, so they'd have to That's go back true. and look at all the games that were 10 nothing at some point. Well, uh, you know, the Jays are doing pretty well recently. So yeah. Maybe that could be, that, a, lot that games, could be so. a lot of games, hopefully. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, with, with any luck, that'll be you know that could be any game from now till the end of the presumable World Series title. Sure, win. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, like normal, when we have a guest, Don, when we contact you, I can't remember what you said about John Lecrae. What did you know about him? Have you read anything? Have you seen any movies? What do you know about him? So it was a long time ago now, I guess, when I first agreed and we just, uh, you know, it kept bouncing around and stuff. We couldn't uh, CIA. get it. Yeah, CIA. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know much about him, like, early on kind of thing. Like, I, like, uh, so I guess, like, I, you know, uh, when I was, like, a little kid, I uh, wanted to be a spy. That was, like, my goal kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Like, when I was, like, eight or nine or something like that, because they had these, like, toys called uh, Spy Tech. I'm not sure if you guys knew that. Oh, was it, like... Like it was like you could like listen through windows and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Or like, a hard uh, skill of listening. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like or you like could like point peri- it. You yeah. could like point it from like yeah, no, I know, thirty feet sure. away. Yeah, yeah. And like periscopes and fingerprint mm-hmm. kits and all this stuff. And there's little yeah. little black like plastic things kind of thing. And they were yeah. like really really cheaply made. But like I was just fascinated by them. And at yeah. some level, I thought they were like real kind of thing. You know, I was like <laughs> I was somehow participating in the spy world. But like. uh so from there, I kind of, you know, growing up and stuff was always interested in spy movies and stuff. But I actually, I didn't really know much about John Lecrae. I, I saw the Tinker Tailor when it came out, the, the movie. Ah, yes. um, and uh, then it's mostly just because of this podcast that I started reading. Uh, so I read the first one that uh, you guys had done. Um, the, uh, the Spy, spy came Who Came Old. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was kind of following the podcast and stuff. And then uh, I think that I think around then is when he died as well. So I read Emma's article right. about it and stuff. And, yeah. Um, and sort of got into it. And I really enjoyed the spy came in from the cold. Like I thought that was a great novel. And then yeah. uh, 
Um, and then this one, you know, as a, is a probably a perfect follow-up to that because it is just for all sorts of reasons, like it's the second yeah. one and, and that kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, that, that, that's been fun. And uh, I guess also like sort of in between those two things, there was like, you know, 9-11 and the Iraq war and stuff uh, yeah. growing up kind of thing. It was like constantly reading about like Hezbollah and all these kind of like different groups and stuff and like trying to learning about like, I don't know, like just stuff like that. So I, I've always like, sort of being interested in stuff and i i read a lot about it in terms of like how it like the integration of all these like spy networks with crime and stuff and yeah, sometimes yeah, it yeah. gets like over romanticized so it's good to have like a totally like this where like uh they kind of you know he goes hard in the other direction and stuff so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well it's interesting so on the i was reading this on the the wikipedia and they've got some quotes so i'm guessing it's true but <clears throat> i guess uh he wrote this as a bit of um a bit of a response actually to the feedback from a spy who came in from the cold. Yes. And this is so it's... funny, typical British people. Mm-hmm. They were, they're so in that po- post-World War II high, uh, high on their own um, spy supply. Yeah. That uh, they, they didn't really get that a spy who came in from the cold was meant to be a critique. Sure. <laughs> and they just saw it kind of as this heroic story about Lamas and, um, and so he kind of wrote this to really drive the nail in, I guess, uh, to try and drive the point home yeah. that it's, you know, you know, bordering on satire almost, but extremely depressing satire. But um, yeah. yeah, he, he wrote, know. he wrote this, at least that's what in the intro to the copy I have, which is the mm-hmm. ebook version. He writes, he basically right. writes that and he does, I don't know. I think it's one of the few instances of I've seen, John le Carre writing good things about Americans is yes. he says, he says America, <laughs> yeah. Americans understood it was satire right. and the British didn't. Yeah. So, right. um, you know, and he is not prone to being a fan of the Americans. So it was, I thought that was, that was pretty funny. And I think this was also the last book he wrote while a spy. Um, oh, is he still, I didn't even realize think, that. I, Cause he wrote, is this his, third book i think yeah yeah he wrote the first he wrote the first three at least wrote them when he was a spy and then quit um, right uh which is that's i mean that's why he published under a pseudonym originally was because right he was spy and then uh kim philby burned him and he had to quit and he was making all this money as a writer but he like literally couldn't be a spy anymore right mm-hmm. right that's kind of a nice excuse to get uh you know an early retirement i know <laughs> just like uh quickly break into the office with the kim phobie files and write your name quickly at the end exactly oh exactly. i got burned <laughs> Shit. yeah 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 that's good. i guess the, the the thing i guess the main difference there is you know how many movies I th- there's even a new one i think it's a netflix movie isn't it about um I don't know what um, branch it was during World War II where they're trying to plot like a diversionary uh, uh, landing okay. uh, to distract the Germans from D-Day. And I think that's a Netflix movie. But there's the, the British um, intelligence agency was so on top of the world after World War II, right? Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had so much goodwill. Obviously, they did a lot of good things during the war. Um and some very heroic and brave things, but they were so high on that. I think going leading into the cold war that they probably had a level of respect that the CIA never would have had. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I think that like, uh, 
the CIA, I mean, the CIA evolved out of that whole thing. I think that like, uh, um, yeah, I think that it was more of the sort of public culture maybe in, in right. uh, Britain or something like that. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you also have, I guess, in this era, you have the whole, you know, it's the beginning of the James Bond yeah, sure. movies yeah, yeah, yeah. and books where it's just like, like, this is the coolest thing you could ever be. You're going to yeah, be, sure. you're going to be, uh, driving around Southern California in a Ferrari and sleeping with Halle Berry. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, hot women are going to climb out of the sea for you. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, this is like very, the complete opposite, like anti, I know we've said it before, but it's just yeah. like the complete anti bond. Um, well, I think too, I, I was saying this on the Slack. <clears throat> I, I, I think this is the most, from what I've read, I think this is the most depressing Lecrae book. It, I mean, it, and he writes, he's written a lot of dark stuff. Yeah. And this is very dark. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, um, I really appreciated that. I thought it was great. And totally. In his, yeah. uh, it was funny because this is one of the first, I don't, I, like, I haven't read a lot of, like, novels in general, probably like a few dozen in my whole life kind of thing. But, like, right. uh, um, I found it was interesting that, like, I was editing as I was going along based on what he had said early on in the book like uh, in mm-hmm. his introduction because he in his introduction that i read which is probably the same one yeah um, that max did that it was uh you know he he gets into how this wasn't like basically like it, it was a rebuttal in some response to the you know public response but it wasn't like pure response kind of thing like right it still right. has like smiley in it and it still yeah. has like it's still you know, Smiley still in in a way kind of outsmarts them in a, different ways yeah. and stuff. And there's still control. sort of like you can kind of like look at them as you know loser spies to some extent. Totally. But, but you can still sort of imagine what a good spy would be like, kind of thing or something right. like that. So yes. it's hard to sort of you know you can kind of be like, oh, these people are weighing over their heads and uh, being really really absurd and stuff like that. But then you're kind of like, well but this function needs to exist kind of thing in a certain way kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, like, and at that time, yeah, I mean, it's, sure. it's obviously justifiable, certainly to the, the governments, uh, I guess in the West that they would need uh, intelligence networks. So it's hard to blame them for having them at all. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's driven home in the fact that the whole point of the book is how, how kind of inept the d- department is and, and how the whole point of the, uh, their this book is them trying in vain to kind of restore past glory. So it's not even about them just thinking what would be the best thing for the country. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it's more what would make us look good again because no one cares about us anymore. I mean, and so it gives it a, quite a different light, I guess. Where, yeah, you're right. It, it, you can easily envision how this could have gone well, or you know, Smiley in his prime, or or either department really in their prime. During World War II, this this operation goes off well, and it's super well funded, and everyone's you know giving it their best. Totally, and I mean, it's I think you get this theme that occurs, I think, in a lot of Lacary books, but also in real life of how there's just the intelligence agencies competing with each other yeah. rather than cooperating. You know, like that's kind of what led to nine eleven, with you know none of the intelligence agencies wanting to cooperate with each other and mm-hmm. you know it happens with uh you know in the carla trilogy with them trying in tinker taylor with them trying to impress the americans it's, yeah it's, you know it's kind of these 
rather than country against country, it ends up being kind of agency against agency. Yeah. Um, and even not even just agency on the other side, but agency on, you know, what is ostensibly supposed to be the same country. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and at the individual level, just like very yes, totally. petty psychology, very sad people kind of fighting constantly yes. with their spouses and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get into it, but I think, I think Leclerc is one of the most perfectly realized characters that Leclerc has ever written. Mm-hmm. Um, he exudes the exact type of energy yes. of that guy who had glory days, is past it, very desperate to just maintain some level of status and doesn't really care how or why or clearly you know, who might suffer, uh, in order to get, maintain that status. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I thought he was, I mean, and he, out for me. and like he, at, I mean, we'll get to it, but at the end he flips so easily when he oh realizes like Ugh. the department's done. He's just like, okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like, yeah, okay, whatever, yeah. whatever. I don't want to the last chapter. Cause I think that might be, that might sure. be Sorry. my favorite chapter of, um, it's technically the second to last chapter. Second to last. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, but I do think it, it is funny that, well, not funny, but the, he is such a well-realized character. And I think Anna is yeah. like, what is like probably the best example of LaCarrie being terrible at writing women. <laughs> yes. And just, she is so one dimensional. Oh and like, yeah. Yeah. Like the, her, her attraction and everything with lesser, lesser, lesser. That's I'm yeah. also, I always said lesser in my head. I was um, saying lesser in my head. Lyser, um, okay. You, you got to yeah. break the tie. I, I was saying Lyser. Lyser. Oh okay. Oh Cause God. German, Polish. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. That probably that's, I'm, I should have, what I should have, my my wife speaks fluent German. I should have asked her. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that would have been smart. But, you know, too late. But again, this this is a very, um, you know, to be into Lacare Le, a lot, That that is, you know, that's the ultimate um, provincial dad territory. So <laughs> it's not something that you discuss with your wife. No, I mean, sure. she she really hates Lacare. <laughs> so she, I took one of our first dates was going to see the Tinker Tailor Silver Spy movie, <laughs> oh, yeah. and she didn't admit at the time that she hated it. But now yeah. she was like, I I really hated that movie. I um, remember watching that with Aaron and actually my whole family. Uh, not two or uh, not you know probably a couple years into dating uh, at my parents' house, and I think everyone was so bored and lost. <laughs> and I remember just feeling utterly crushed that everyone. <laughs> Could not give two shits about that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so, okay, uh, so let's we, um, let's yeah, just we, get into the plot a little bit here, um, <laughs> and I'll try and keep it relatively broad. Uh, so there will be spoilers as always. So 1960s, uh, we've got, and again, I talk about this all of the time. Luke Cray has many gifts as a writer, but one of his biggest gifts is always picking perfect names for everything. Uh, <laughs> so we've got the department, um, and that would be effectively a military intelligence organization. So kind of, I think they even talk about it in the book where the circus is meant to do political intelligence and espionage. They're, they're coming at it from the military side of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you, you, you get the sense with circus and control is always, it's like, what do I care about? Like how many missiles people have? Right. They really, they like kind of denigrated as, as useless information. Yeah. Because they're playing the longer game. They're trying yes. to, you know, overthrow uh, governments and kill yes. key, you know, political leaders and stuff, right? They're they're not worried about... Well, 
a very funny part kind of later in the book is when they get, uh, is it in Budapest? Um, yes. The troop movements and, and yep. <laughs> Haldane and, and Leclerc are just uh, incredibly horny about them. And, you yeah. know, it, it doesn't seem that, that big. And, and, and it's funny because it's like, that's one of the few things the CIA is good at because you can... <laughs> just point like spy camera spy satellites at it and just count like oh there's 40 missiles that's fine (laughs) like you don't need you don't need to send people in yeah well speaking of missiles and yes seeing or not seeing missiles so the the kind of inciting incident um to that kind of kicks off the book is there is effectively someone who is a defector in east germany that sees or tells uh the department they 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 get him as a source that they have he found he was working at a railway station i believe and um they kind of shut down the railway station and i believe importantly it was actually soviet troops that kind of came into the railway station and wouldn't let anyone see what they were moving through and he apparently, with a really, really crappy camera uh, in bad lighting conditions, took this photo of something that maybe could have looked like <laughs> a rocket, mm-hmm. uh, and that this was going to be placed effectively, you know, right on the German, uh, West German, East German border in a fictional town called how do you pronounce it? Kalkstadt. Uh, Kalk Kalkstadt, I think. Kalkstadt. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the inciting incident. And then what we get into that in the first chapter, which I think the first kind of the, the first chapter and then the last, maybe I'll say three chapters are absolute top level. Yes. John McRae. The first chapter is called Taylor's Run, I believe. And I think it's maybe a couple chapters. They have the, the books kind of separate into three runs. And all of these runs are effectively people going to try and retrieve um, evidence that support this uh, missile, um, the missiles. Yeah, the missile theory. Uh, so Taylor is is kind of a middle aged. He's not. He's not a spy. He's barely an intelligence officer. And they kind of send him to was it Finland? I can't even remember where he was. I think so. it was. Yeah, it was Finland. And yeah, it not so even not even like Helsinki. at some tiny, yeah, mm-hmm. some Airport. crappy little town where what they did was they basically paid a um, pilot, a commercial pilot. They set up a camera in the plane and they got, they paid him to basically go off course into East Germany, take some pictures over where they think this missile is being held and then come back. And Taylor is supposed to be meeting him there, get the pictures and bring them back to England. And in theory, it's supposed to be a relatively easy operation but the great thing about it, and, and I think, and, you know, after I say this, I want to get Don's opinion, but if you've read a lot of Corey, it, it's really fun to read this scene. And, and, and I said early on, it reads almost like a horror movie because everything Taylor does is exactly what he would call out in other books as being poor yeah. tradecraft. I mean, he's, that's, that's the whole thing throughout the book is just how incompetent everyone is in this yeah. book. Don, did you get that sense from that chapter? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty, you know, they laid on thick throughout the book and yeah. stuff, with this <laughs> kind of stuff, like the, all the different, uh, you know, and he sort of really sets it up to where he'll have like, uh, Lacare will have like the, you know, 
sort of explain what he is told, what he's supposed to do, and then has almost immediately after just does the opposite <laughs> or um, whatever. Yeah. So and he's I don't know. pissed drunk. He's, yeah. Yeah. They sort of the fail spy kind of stuff. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's Taylor's the most fail spy, I think, in all of literature. Sure. Um, so he he's he meets the pilot, but the pilot is incredible. Like nothing goes to plan. The pilot's talking loud. He's talking about the operation. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly scared and mad. And he, you know, the whole thing is totally botched. So basically, if there was an East German intelligence officer anywhere within five miles, they would have basically found out what Taylor was doing. You wouldn't even have to be an intelligence officer to find out what was going on. Oh, yeah. for sure. And then um, Taylor is too drunk to kind of find a cab. He can't really find a car back to his hotel. So he decides to walk. And as he's walking back to the hotel, again, keeping in mind, he's, you know, pissed. uh, He gets hit by a car and dies. And Mm -hmm. Taylor's death kind of kickstarts the rest of the book. Yeah. And you, you, that you hear, you see when he dies, the roll of film flies out of his pocket and goes down the side of the um i don't know i guess it's never directly said but at least the way i read it is that it's pretty obvious he was not murdered that this was just a complete accident total fluke Um, yeah 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 total fluke and and again you think of it too that how drunk he was he probably just swerved into the road accidentally and completely completely or i mean it's it's you know it's a rural area of finland the other person might have been drunk too (laughs) yeah likely they they were late for uh you know a sauna date yeah exactly yeah and also i mean throughout the book they also point to the fact that uh the film itself and sort of the defector story and stuff very flimsy already like he shopped around to different people and didn't really there weren't people that bit and because it seemed a bit sort of sketchy and um stuff like that and it's funny throughout the book how they you know they they sort of it's not like they just say okay no you know this is definite definitively (laughs) uh good evidence or something like that they're always very careful to go and kind of sort of cover themselves and be like okay well you know to the best of our knowledge this is something we need to look into we're not quite Mm -hmm. sure if it's perfect evidence but you know what would happen if we were wrong and we don't look into it or something like that kind of thing. So they're, they're very, they're they're sort of self-aware to the point where they're like, they know that like they have to kind of hedge their bets and sort of say, well, you know, maybe he just got hit by a car or something like that, you know, and, and it was just, or whatever. And it was just an accident or something. They, you know, they, they can kind of, they can accept that, but then they sort of go, but our, you know, look at, we, we have to, we have to take this seriously and like, yeah. And then, and then they do indulge at certain moments when they sort of, when they've won or when, you know, uh, it's sort of the little battles within the departments and stuff, they'll sort of admit, you know, uh, or say that they admit kind of thing like, Oh, you know, we, we did, uh, you know, we do, we all know that he was murdered really or something like that or something, you know, like they sort of, they, they, uh, they get away from themselves at different points and even screw up that kind of hedging of the bets and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty pathetic. Yeah. They, they do reference the Cuban missile crisis, I think at yeah, some yeah. point too. Yeah. Which I guess, you know, that gives you a bit more of a timeline. Cause when was that? Is it 62? I thought, I think it was 61. 61. Okay. Um, um I think, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, they, 
that's again, you know, stretching uh, because obviously the evidence uh, involved in the Cuban Missile Crisis was was quite a bit more than sure. they had yes. here. But that yeah. gives them an easy to cover to say, huh, but you know what? Think about yeah, Cuban yeah. Missile Crisis. Yeah. We got to take this seriously. Plus, you have to think like no one at, what, at any point goes like, oh, could we just ask the Americans? Because they yeah. obviously will like know, you know, they have spy satellites up by this point. They have the U-2, which is how they found the cuban missiles so it, it's it's like there are definitely other ways to figure this out than this very yeah. convoluted mission yeah, i mean they could have even right if they just got over themselves just asked the circus circus exactly and said hey guys we found this what do you think and but of course you know so the circus obviously this is the um other intelligence wing that george smiley works at that is run by control and it, it is a primary mover in a lot of the the kind of Cold War era Lacre books, and it's kind of a fun novel because they're involved, Smiley's involved, Control's involved, but they're very secondary characters, at least within the foreground of the story. And um, so, part of the you know after Taylor's killed, uh, they are thinking about what to do next, and they're very very conscious the whole time of the fact that they don't want to involve the circus because they don't want the circus getting involved in, and effectively taking it over and getting credit for what may be something or is likely nothing. Yeah. And they're trying to be entrepreneurial kind of thing. Like they're trying to yeah. tur- turn this little thing that they have <laughs> yeah. and sort of run with it as far as they can in terms of expanding their budgets and, yeah. you know, bringing a sense of purpose back to the uh, military intelligence and stuff like yeah. that. So um, and there, you know, it, that's one of the funniest things throughout the books, obviously, is, I mean, the book is that like, you know, they, how excited they get and, and how subdued they sort of are at the start and how like, it seems like yep. a sleepy operation. And then as the story progresses, it gets more and more intense and, yeah, uh, you know, more and more like, uh, dangerous too. And, uh, well, and the sad yeah. thing is they get so up for it because all it is doing is it's this nostalgia thing for them. Sure. Because they, they, they all just, especially the older guys, right? Haldane. Um, so just quickly, Haldane, he kind of leads the only part of the department that is worth anything, which is essentially a research section on military research on, you know, East Germany and the Soviet union. And, and apparently does that quite well. And the circus uses their intelligence quite a lot. So it's kind of the only functional thing that's going well that's getting them funding at all uh currently he he's kind of an old old hand and then leclerc who is the who runs the department um he is also you know an older guy world war ii uh veteran and, and ran you know was a part of the department during its heyday and as don said you know they're very in disrepair they're tiny everything's crappy they don't have budget for anything avery which is Leclerc's um, assistant, who becomes a, a big part of the, of the story. He has to lie to his wife that they're sending a car to pick him up because they, you know, they don't even have the, the budget to basically order taxis for their employees. Yeah, at the right? at the start. Yeah, and then yeah, at the of, start, at the start. Sort of and that's actually a big part of it yeah, too. Is true. is Leclerc always going to Whitehall and asking the? I don't know which minister specifically, but presumably, I guess the. Minister of Defense, um, Minister of War, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. To, to, to get more funding and to give them, you know, to okay this operation they want to do, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one related thing that I really like throughout the book is like um, 
the petty cash kind of stuff. Like they're always yeah. talking to each other about like how, uh, you know, they have to pay for a taxi or they have to, and they're always talking about like, make sure you get a receipt for that or, yeah. you know, and it's not just them too. It's always like people that are sort of like interacting with them are always like saying like, Oh, remember, you know, here's that like, uh, you know, check whatever, you know, like just little, yeah. little things like that. And you can tell that it, that's, that's a very big part of their jobs is like the, the, like the joy that they get from uh, making <laughs> sure that they can, build the taxpayer kind of thing so yeah um, i don't know that's always yeah, it's one of the few perks that they kind of get nowadays because they don't sure. get any of the um the the moral perks that they got during world war ii really mm -hmm. um so now it's just oh yeah great i can i can get my my taxi across london covered yeah and they do he does a good job in the book of like sort of scaling that over time where at the very start they're sort of really really you know like yeah okay, we can get like a meal voucher or something like that kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. And then later on, it's like, okay, we'll rent this house or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So so basically, after Taylor's dead, there's a very sad scene, I thought, and again, really well done, where Leclerc and Avery have to go tell Taylor's now widow and a, a kid that Taylor was killed. It's very sad. And there's this also really sad i think commentary on on how uh you know veterans of any kind are treated i guess but uh how leclerc is trying to get uh, the government to provide taylor's widow a pension and and they won't do it and mm -hmm. uh yeah in theory he was you know serving overseas in intelligence capacity and they won't pay his widow as uh, a pension yeah i liked i like that scene because uh it's got you know it's like working class flats and they're, they're surprised yeah. by the kid being alone during the day and stuff i think yeah, right and, and uh that's like a you know they're sort of surprised that like they have this vision of the world that's all sort of like oxbridge kind of people yeah, and stuff yeah. like that and this idea that you could be some sort of agent or something or you know like a like a participant and just be sort of like a member of the general public kind of thing in a different right. way. They yep. really don't like that. It really disturbs their worldview to some extent. And uh, it, yeah. Yeah. I think this book does is one of the best jobs of John LeCarrie's books of showing like how upper crust the spy yeah. agencies are sure. in the, yeah. in the UK. And like, you know, they go and do it in Oxford in Oxford. Cause they know that that's like where yeah. they, and they all they are, are talking about how they love it and all the places yeah, that they, sure. you know, Avery and his wife used to live there. And, you know, um, the, the, the other thing that I'll talk about quickly is the clubs aspect, which yeah. it's always, it, it's a part of a lot of LeCarrie Le books. Actually, it, it plays a really important role in Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Totally. But um, the club aspect of it, which is such a funny, uniquely British thing. Mm -hmm. it, certainly it's not i don't think i don't know if there's anything similar in canada but every single person from that world has their club and a lot of it is kind of seems to be world war ii veteran type clubs that are sometimes segregated by you know what what branch you were in or you know what intelligence agency you're with but every single person is in a club. They're all different. And all they do is talk about, oh, my cl our club's got a great tea on Sunday. And, you know, you mm -hmm. you guys should come to my club. Oh, you should come to my club. We've got, you know, we've got, uh, or I think at one scene they talk about how the the one club that um, Haldane took uh, Lizer to, I think they, they were running out of a of their nice wine or something. Yes. Like, the clubs is just such a huge, important part of um, the socialization of these people. Yeah, and it seems a little bit sad kind of thing too. A lot of yes. them, like just kind of like old people that are, 
uh, not not like you you can tell that it's like a lot of gossip goes on and stuff like yes. that there. But, yes. But the gossip is not really it doesn't make sense a lot of the time kind of thing. Like they're kind of lying to each other and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, playing it up. And I thought there was a great part in that uh, once where uh, they're talking like there's a lot of like xenophobia and stuff in there too. Oh, like, yeah. like all the different European the types and stuff. <laughs> about the Polish yeah and uh, the Germans I thought it was funny I, I if I'm remembering correctly there's like this part where uh, they're talking about like Germany and one of the guys in the club I think I think it's just like a random person or something like that it's sort of like uh you know when are we going to go back to war with the Germans kind of thing like that's what they're implying with what they're saying kind of thing like when are we going right. to get back and get back at them kind of thing or whatever yeah. and uh and then they point out that the there's they were in Italy and there was like hordes of german tourists around or something like that and they were sort of angry that there right german tourists were around and i thought it was funny because these were obviously west german tourists i would say right like, i'm right. pretty sure <laughs> so it's like are we going to go to war with east germany because we want to get back at like these german tourists you know what i mean like it's like it's, it's sort of like this almost like senile thought of oh man those damn germans we got to go get yeah. them again or something and and uh i think it's how dane is in that scene or something i think yeah, right? yeah. you know and uh, whoever it is uh, plays into it a bit. It's kind of like, oh, you know, there's something I know about that or something like that. Yeah, I yeah. Know, so I really like well, that. Well, so much of the industry gossip gets uh, spilled at these places. And, sure. and uh, it's always, like you said, kind of in service of their status or saying, oh, you know, they don't, they have no reason to bring it up. And obviously a lot of them are doing intelligence work, but they can't help themselves to say, oh, I'm involved in quite the operation right now. Yeah, and for sure. Um, they yeah. can't help themselves. I mean, it is like, you there's the the book takes place in kind of the heart of the cold war but here there there's so many of them are just still stuck in the second world oh, war yeah. sure like that's that was their heyday that was the department's heyday that's you know avery's the only young guy in the department and uh everyone else is trying to really i mean that's it's like really hammered I mean, home british politics is still i think nostalgic for the second sure. world war so oh completely yeah. completely i mean that's you know they venerate winston churchill like yeah no, yeah no matter what side of the most for the most part no matter what side of the uh aisle you're on yeah just, yeah you know, exactly very much in love with winston uh yeah. I, I went yeah. to sir winston churchill high school as a matter of oh fact. really yeah. Yeah. um uh, a friend of mine sort of pointed out this about the clubs and stuff, and it's sort of it's it's related to to what happens later on and in, in things. There's a lot of like homoerotic kind of like uh, yeah. bromance, bromance kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, like a lot of like masculine yep. one upping and uh, you know uh, back slapping kind of stuff, and a lot of like moments where they're sort of you know like waiting up for each other or something, or sort of like uh, <laughs> yeah. you know or like uh, you know expected to be you know sexual titans or something and not performing and stuff like that and yeah it's well, sort especially of like, around yeah. lizer right lizer um, yeah that's yeah. a big part it's kind of a sad thing too because i don't think he necessarily maybe when he was younger which is when um they they knew him initially when he because lizer who becomes kind of the main agent of the main operation which, which we'll get to very shortly um he they knew him because he he did some agent work for the department during the war and was really good he he was kind of the guy that they wanted um primarily because they don't have any agents left and he's still alive yeah. um but but he was quite the star for them during the war well and yeah to, to be clear i think i think some of that is you know like they're they're 
hyping that up a bit. Well, to, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In their minds, he yeah, was a sure. star. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get this. I don't think, I'm not really directly stated, but I mean, it's pretty clear he's talking about like, he got caught during the. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this is the guy they went to who got caught while yeah. transmitting during yeah. the war. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So l- let me get back on track again here. Uh, sure. So essentially, they send Avery over to retrieve the um, uh, to retrieve the film from Taylor. And Avery, he's he's thirty two. He's young. He's an assistant. He has no experience really. He's not a war veteran. He, you know, he didn't. He wasn't part of the heyday. He doesn't have any operational experience. And really, neither did Taylor. Um, and he, he makes a pretty big mess of it. It's quite, the the whole scene of him going over is extraordinarily, you know, sad and funny. He can barely, um, get things right. Uh, he's talking to the embassy there and it's so clear almost from the first scene where he's meeting with, um, can't remember the name of the character, but the, the guy that works at the embassy and the embassy guy knows immediately that he's over, uh, doing intelligence work and that he's not a family member of Taylor who he's presenting to Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean everyone, like even the even the person at the morgue, like yeah. spots this immediately, yeah. and the other cop, like they're just, it's so inept. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they sort of toy with him a bit back and forth. Yeah, completely. So yeah, well, and they're also mad about it too because you know they're over there trying to do their jobs, and they. I think it comes across as here's this annoying intelligence agency playing this stupid game, but they can't even do it right. You know. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm some, uh, and again, we're in Finland here. We're not, you know, I guess Finland was a relatively um, uh, exciting um, country during this time period, but compared to others, not very much. Sure. He's just a little uh, guy working at the embassy and he's like, I, I know what you're doing. This is so stupid. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there's a there's an interesting subplot where we find out that Taylor was meant to have this different passport. Um that that actually the circus was supposed to provide him with and then at the last second they they either wouldn't let him use it or they ended up providing him one that was um no longer good or or in service or something so we kind of learn later it seems that that was a pretty clear thing that controlled it to likely um try and fuck around with the department's yeah uh, operation mm-hmm so so Avery goes and does that. He doesn't get the film. It's a complete disaster. There's kind of a funny scene where he's laying in his hotel and he hears footsteps in the hallway. And he's sure it's like a Stasi agent <laughs> coming to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the more you get into the book, you, you realize that there was probably never anything. There was no fire to whatever little amount of smoke that there was. And that was like just someone in the hotel. <laughs> well, it's also, I think, very funny is he's, the when he's being taken to the body, the embassy guy says, "Do you want to stop at the place where he got killed?" And we we know from previously that the 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 film role flew out over right. there, and he's like, "Ah, no, nah, I don't need to see that." Yeah. When it, he might have found the film if he had just stopped at the place. Sure. Where right. he had gotten killed. Yeah, and at that point, it was so clear that the embassy guy knew what he was doing anyway. He may as well have just been like, yeah, I, I, I need to look around here. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, that doesn't go well. But despite all of that, um, Leclerc persuades, um, you know, the defense minister or, or whoever that this is a big deal. 
he and one thing they talk about Leclerc a lot is he's very very good at selling things to people. Mm-hmm. He's he's very charismatic when he really gets into it and he's giving speeches. People seem won over by him, so it's clear he kind of used that mixed with this very flimsy uh, information they had to basically get them to allow give them the the budget to train and send an agent across the West East German border to try and get more information on this supposed missile, uh, Soviet missiles that are that are stationed there. Mm-hmm. And I said, just uh, something about the Avery as well, uh, at, that sort of gets clear at this point is the sort of like moral journey he has to go on kind of thing where right. they're trying to decide whether or not he's actually going to stay in intelligence and stuff. And he came from publishing and you got yeah. stuff. And it's, it's not really... It's not really clear that he would ever really drop out or anything like that, but he he has moments where he wants to do it or says he wants to do it at least because of problems with his wife and stuff. So yeah, uh, you know, a big part of the book is him drinking the Kool Aid and sort of going along with the plan kind of thing, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, that's and that's, it's and it's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's not clear how much he's he's deliberately letting himself kind of buy into it and how much he's just. Um, being won over by the, you know, the uh, charisma of Leclerc and, and everything. It's it's obviously a bit of both. He he kind of wants to fall in love with it. He yeah. wants to feel like he's doing something meaningful and important. Yeah. Um, and, and the drama. And I think that like, yeah, I think that's part of it. I think when they go and see the child uh, with the wit, like yeah. at the widow's house, stuff like that, like it's kind of like, you know, a normal life is boring kind of thing, right? Like, yeah, like yeah, you don't yeah. want to get into uh, just have to go back to normalcy kind of thing. Yeah. And they all, there's always moments of the book where they're sort of bored and, and sad, mm-hmm. but like having to go do normal things, like <laughs> talk to their wife and stuff kind of thing. And, and yeah. uh, a lot of that, like he starts, one of them starts sleeping at the department or something, you know, yeah, stuff. Totally. Like that, so, well, it's, it's almost, there's another way of looking at it that the whole operation was just an opportunity. So all of them could stay away from their homes. Sure. <laughs> And yeah. it's like they, they get so excited when when they can set up their cots in their offices and sure. you know have basically their little camp experience, right? Exactly. It's it's, yeah. it's all these guys who are just trying to feel important again. Whether yeah. you know, Lizer's like, oh, he's bored in this. You know, he's just like settled down into this ho hum existence, and yeah, yeah. all the people in the department are just sitting in this like in this house, just kind of looking at at documents all day and then the the opportunity to go actually do something rears its head and they like put blinders on and that's all they they want to do yeah so they so they start they start planning for this operation and the one thing that continually comes up is they don't have the resources to do this and 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 not just the financial resources they don't have any active agents they don't have any (laughs) you know, anyone even that they could use within their own department to train an agent. So a big part of this kind of, uh, I don't know, middle-ish part of the book is them trying to hire people to come do training and then them having to go to the circus. And they think they're trying to be slick and uh, say, oh, we're just doing a training exercise uh, and we need, um, (laughs) you know, this transmitting equipment and they're trying to get the best transmitting equipment, but control, I mean, smiling control, uh, the very first time Avery talks to Smiley, they know exactly what's going on. Sure. Um, 
you know, I don't think there's really ever any question on the circus side of things, what they're actually trying to do. Um, so they, they, they end up, uh, the circus ends up giving them some old radio transmitters that were used during the war, not their best tech, but certainly functional. Um, and I if suppose correctly. That, that, uh, the agent that they end up getting, whose name is Fred Leiser, he used the same equipment in the war. So they think, well, maybe, maybe it's okay because he's more used to this equipment. Yeah. Like all the trainers and stuff sort of make it sound like if you, uh, you know, if you, if everything went perfectly, maybe he'd have a chance of yes. getting through yeah. it or something. And, and yeah. then it, it doesn't go perfectly. And then they keep kind of going along with it. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of develops in one direction. Well, it's really, <laughs> it's really sad. So they get this guy, Fred Leiser, who he's a mechanic now, runs a garage, a garage. What am I British now? A garage. <laughs> and um, I even get the accent just from reading. Uh, sure, <laughs> um, they, they, like I said, he's a guy they used in the war. You know, maybe he was their best agent, but he, he didn't seem maybe like a superstar, but he was maybe the best that they had access to. They convince him, Haldane kind of has a meeting with him, and and despite storming off after um, uh, some... Does Lizer make some bad comments about Smiley, actually? Yeah, he does. Yeah. (laughs) Haldane off. Um, I mean, it's funny also, because Haldane didn't want to do this in the first place. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the one originally who like doesn't buy into any of the evidence. Yeah. uh, Or at least not enough to do this operation... If if based on the evidence, but when he's told to, he's like, okay, I guess I'm yeah. going to do it. <laughs> yeah, and then he sort yeah, of he's gets, got that very old school, yeah. uh, just get on with it kind of British military uh, yep. thing, which is uh, when you're given an order, you just follow it and do your best. Yeah. Thing. And he gets caught up in the excitement of oh, he does, completely, he completely. Does. He tries Does to he... hide it though. He sure. tries. Oh to hide yes, it, unlike the other guys, but it comes through. But he also seems to have like even less going on than anyone else. He's yeah, not married. married. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't have kids. He's sick. Seems he's to be sick. like terminally, maybe terminally yeah. ill. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, they, they get Lizer on board. So everyone's pretty jazzed now. They have their agent and they need to train him up. So they, they basically rent this house in Oxford and this house is kind of their training base. And I, I think it's, it sounds like it's about a month that they have. They kind of have two week, two, two week blocks of training with Lizer and um, kind of a couple rest days in between. And throughout that time, they're bringing in, you know, uh, an uh, unarmed combat specialist. They bring in someone who's a specialist with firearms and they're doing all this training. And it's pretty clear that Lizer is, I mean, he's a middle-aged man who hasn't been an agent, you know, for, I don't know, two, two decades at this point. And is totally past it, doesn't remember much of anything that, that he did during the war. He's getting beat, the shit beat out of him when they're doing the, the unarmed combat training. It seems like he's pretty lackadaisical during the, um, the gun training. Yeah. They paint a picture that, he, and especially when it comes to then the technical stuff around the uh, transmitting, he, he has no fucking idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, there's like such a terrible moment where Avery hands in his yes his like decoding practice as lizers yeah and is like this is not helping him this is hurting him so much yeah yeah i mean that's like maybe the moment that kind of gets it gets you know is how we get to the end of the book is because 
he like covering for everyone's kind of covering for Lizer and not being like, uh, I don't think he can do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think everyone, it, it's this weird thing where you don't know, and it's obviously a bit of both, but are they all totally delusional or are they all still thinking, you know, even if there's a 1% chance that this works, it's worth it. And both of them are probably true at the same time. And both of them are equally sad, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit like path dependency or something. They're just kind of yeah. putting one foot in front of the other and seeing where yeah. it goes. And yeah. uh, each step of the way helps them, but they don't see the big picture really. So yeah. Exactly. So they're training him up. And, um, you know, at, at one point, I, I think his name's Johnson, right? He's kind of the um, radio tech. Yes. Uh, he he gets there. And this is where the, the, the kind of... Um, foreigner banter really gets going because um Lizer maybe was a bit of a playboy it seems like when he was younger but now he just seems kind of a sad old man he's he's in a relationship and it's maybe not a very happy one uh join the club in the book I guess and um but the way Johnson talks to him is if he is this ultimate playboy who's sleeping with a different woman every night and constantly kind of prodding him and making all these innuendos and jokes and Liza kind of goes along with it, but it's so clear that he that's so far from the truth. And um, yeah. that's another quite depressing part of the, the book. Well, it looks like it's part of his identity at the garage too as well. Yes. It's kind of like he's sort of one of those guys that maybe would have like a deep, uh, you know, unbuttoned shirt or something. Yes. Like yeah. Kind of thing. Or um, I sort of pictured him almost as a, like a Gerard Butler or something like that now. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like, uh not a 300 gerard butler no 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 no. more like 300 pounds gerard butler yeah (laughs) so and you know he's like a guy with like if you're the pirelli calendar on the wall yeah 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 um he's got you know if you were to look at him today he would have you know the gucci belt or the burberry belt yes right you know sure he's got kind of the little little hints of of flashiness and and wears a lot of gold jewelry and things like that and very yeah, self-conscious like, about being Polish. Yes. Uh, so. Yeah, this and looks- loves the idea of being British. Like he's a naturalized citizen. I get. I'm sure that's something that sure. he, he received after his service. But it, it's clear he he really loves um, Britain and being British and wants to be seen as British and not Polish. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, they get him to the house and they're doing his training. He has. They have their kind of two days off and. Um, Avery and, and Lizer have kind of an interesting relationship. And if you want to talk about homoeroticism, there, there's something there between the two of them where it, it's kind of unclear if Avery looks up to him or he kind of maybe sees him as a bit of a hero for the things he did in the war, or it's just they have so much hopes riding on him that he can't help but see him in a certain light. But uh, they, they form quite the friendship and, and Lizer really confides in him and vice versa. And, and it's quite quite sweet, but it's it's bittersweet in the sense that you know, you get a good sense that just this isn't going to work and yeah. that Avery is going to be crushed. <laughs> yeah. And Avery sort of lies to him to push him yeah. along kind of thing, you know, like, For oh sure. yeah, you were, you were our number one pick because everyone thought you were a legend and all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Avery... and they, even that uh, there's a big, there's a part too where they, they basically make sure that they lie about the department to Lizer because they yes. want Lizer to think that everything's going amazingly. And Avery talks about, yeah, we have this long list of all these agents and, and you know, you you were at the top. You were the one we picked out of all these guys and we just, you know, think you're so great. Yeah, it's sure. it's and, and, you know, it's funny, too, because they talk about it a lot, how 
that this kind of separation between the agents and um, kind of operations staff and how how really they appreciate what the agents do, but they see them like like pack animals more than anything. Sure. They, or just uh, just a tool or a weapon. They, they really oh, have such a, a negative view towards them. Um, yeah. And that's so clear. Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, they know what they're getting into kind of thing yeah. or something. Yeah. So. Yeah. They, but it's funny. They say as effectively that they're like, they know what they're getting into, but make sure we lie to him all the time about yeah, yeah, what's yeah. actually going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't sure. even know Haldane's real name. Right. The whole time. You know, he's still Captain Hawkins. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Avery just lies to him constantly about even like little things, his age and, and things like that. And mm-hmm. they, send him they just say oh war rules that's you know it's the war rules <laughs> yeah you're yeah we're sending you in you have to figure out how to get out yeah. even though it's 1965 and yeah you know it's, it's yeah. completely different um the the uh the, the one thing that is i think <laughs> the one thing that makes me that think the most you know this is these are the books for provincial dads out of anything <laughs> is, if you describe how much of this book is dedicated to talking about how these Morse code messages and, yes. are sent <laughs> and the crystals and changing them and, and the groupings there's, I bet you about 10% of the book is talking about that. Yeah. Oh, um, completely. I like uh, that. It's very funny to me. It was fun. Yeah, but it is cool. It's, it's very compelling <laughs> in, in a fun sure. way. Um, so yeah, and that's a big part of it. So basically they're using these old transmitters and the thing about them is they're relatively easy to detect However, the, the way you get around that is you basically keep substituting these crystals, which change the frequency, if I'm not mistaken. And so if you're changing these crystals out every two minutes, ideally, they will never be able to catch on long enough to hear your message and decode it because it seems like the message itself is not that complicated to, to well, decode. I, I, don't, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's that they can't decode it. It's that they can't triangulate where Right, right, are. right. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of changing the frequency enough that it's hard for them to, yeah, I guess, figure out where it's coming from or exactly. whatever. Um, so they're, they're relying on not being able to find out where it's coming from more than them not being able to kind of crack the code. I totally, guess. totally. Um, but that's very key and they make a big deal of that. And, you know, he starts off, Lizer starts off struggling, but by the end, it seems like he's kind of at least got it to the point that they're like, okay, well, he should be able to send a message, um, to us. So we get to the farmhouse. So they, they move to a farmhouse. They're posing basically as academics going to a conference. Um, and this farmhouse is very close to the border near not too far from Kalkstadt, which is uh, where they want Lizer to go and then presumably, you know, find out stuff and transmit some evidence to them. Um, they, they take them on a tour. Leclerc shows up at this point, gives a big rah-rah uh, speech after they take him on a tour. They kind of show him where he's going to cross. And then they really, in quite a bit of detail, um, draw out, okay, you're going to cross the border here. You're going to lift, you know, this a fence post of the barbed wire that should come up. You need to stay on this path because the main path is, is um, uh, probably has landmines in it. Again, when you hear this, when I, when I was listening to that the whole time and just saying, this is probably bullshit. And, and they, yeah. Know yeah, yeah. Yeah. At a certain point, they actually do, I think, point out that the map might be wrong and or, or right. right or, yeah. Cause doesn't you know. he point out the church? 
Yeah. Lizer's like, why is that church pointing that way? It should always be pointing. Sure. What? Yeah. East or east whatever. West. Yeah. East, West. Yeah. And they're like, oh, um, it's not meant to be totally photorealistic. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kind of move on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's clear, you know, again, no one knows what the fuck they're doing. So the one uh, pretty intense moment is, so he's been trained with this gun and he really likes this one specific gun and they're all happy they got this gun for him. And that seemed to be actually one of the few things in training that he seemed somewhat decent at. And then at the last moment, Leclerc tells them that I guess the uh, defense ministry says, sorry, you can't bring a gun because then we get into some really tricky territory if you get caught because we're sending an armed man across the border. Yeah. Uh, but you can keep your knife because, you know, and they keep saying, oh, but, you know, knives, anyone might have a knife. Uh, it's, sure. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They really they really play it up both directions, too, where he's sort of like uh, I think it's how Dane keeps saying stuff like, uh, you know, sleep with this gun, basically. Yeah. Like you need to, is an extension of yourself at this point. You need <laughs> yeah. to always be prepared to have it. And then uh, they take it away and they're like, well, what are you going to do kind of thing? And even giving them the <laughs> knife, as you said, is sort of like uh it's it's sort of a dumb plan kind of in a way yeah it's like it's like what number one it's a knife so like okay wh- how you know it's still like a very fraught kind of position to be in yeah and and it, it still is against the rules but like yeah, yeah as you said like it's sort of like well you can't stop someone from having a knife kind of thing or something you know like <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah they try and lawyer kind of lawyer speak their way out of it. it's like yes but actually many people carry knives and, sure uh, yeah. well it's also um, it's not even like it's not like a pocket knife it's like literally like an it's like a knife you use to kill people sure yeah it's not this yeah. it's not a multi-purpose knife <laughs> yeah uh i'm trying to think of the name of the exact type of knife it is because uh frick what's it called a fairburn sykes knife i'm almost certain that's what it is yes which is um, like was developed to kill people yeah yeah and it's <laughs> it, you know if you google fairburn sykes it's it's he's this very bizarre i think he was a german actually um but he worked with the allies i'm pretty sure in some capacity and and taught them a lot about kind of knife fighting and hand-to-hand combat and, and if i'm not mistaken he kind of wrote the effectively training manual for um, I think a lot of Western armies at the time for that type of fighting. And it, it, if you look at a picture of the knife, I mean, it is not a pocket knife. <laughs> like, um, it is just for stabbing people to death. So, sure. um, so anyway, um, he, he, he freaks out, you know, probably rightfully so, uh, but they're going ahead with it. So they get him across the border and then we switch to Lizer's perspective. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's apparent it's kind of that, um, I don't even know what you'd call it, not cabin fever or something, but he succumbs in about 20 minutes <laughs> to absolutely, in, you know, on the inside, losing his cool, thinking this is a setup, he's going to get caught and get killed. Uh, yeah. You know, he starts running and, and after 10 minutes of running, he's already tasting blood in his mouth. Like, it's just so clear what a disaster it is. Already. Yeah, just sort of panicking and yeah messing up the mission immediately kind of thing in yeah. different ways and, and stuff and, and importantly and this is the part so i will say i was a bit confused at um why he did this but it, it's obviously part of his panic so he he's basically at one point he needs to um go relatively close to effectively like a guard tower and yep. and kind of sneak by this guard tower and as he's getting around there's an east german guard that is kind of facing away from him and he kills this guard <laughs> 
it's not clear that he had to or why yeah. he decided to. No, and if, I think if he had just like waited, a, like even just yeah. waited a second to like <laughs> gotten down and like waited a second, he could he would yeah. have moved away or yeah, exactly. Just total panic and just you know he's he's in World War II mindset where like yes. oh it's the Germans just kill you can kill yeah. anyone like it yeah. really doesn't matter because yeah. um, yeah. what is you know millions are literally getting killed but you know this is it's a completely different situation yeah, sure um, and if you think about right from from the side of the east germany now in terms of trying not to get them on your tail within an yep. hour of crossing the border you've killed a guy with a knife and left him for dead the, there's no other way to read that than, oh, obviously there's some kind of an agent coming around sure. here that just crossed yep. the border. Yep. Um, so immediately that kind of starts getting sent uh, across the border and it's news. So he, he kind of steals a motorcycle and he's kind of going from town to town. And again, so panicky. He, he goes into a restaurant and he's talking to the proprietor of this restaurant and the guy just instantly knows, like, you're up to no good. I don't know what side you're on necessarily, but you are bad. And I want yeah, he, he says good, good or bad I, is is not I want you out of here because yeah. that's <laughs> going to be that's going to bring too much attention on Trouble. me. Yeah. 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 There's there's different people kind of react to his volatility in different ways kind of thing. Like there's there's a woman who uh, I guess, uh, you know, we would say sex worker, I guess, is sort of yeah. her, her uh, profession. And yes. uh she seems to be very, very enthralled by the chance for something to happen in her town. Yeah. And sort of plays along uh, in different ways. Uh, in in so it's, you know, and not just that, but then the the different people that end up kind of tracking him and stuff like that are, they seem like, oh, <laughs> you know, it, it's sort of a funny kind of situation because they're kind of thinking that it's like, uh, you know, e e it, it it seems too easy to them or something kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Too, they're like, what's going on here? Who who the, these uh, jackasses are around us or something like that? Well, and it's kind of interesting because they allude to this a little bit when they talk about his ID. But right away, um, you know, they talk about how <clears throat> when he's trying to get a train ticket, he asks for the train ticket and they're like, okay, I need to see your your ID. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's like, not only do I need to see your ID, I need to see a written document that shows that you're actually allowed to take this train ride. Sure. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. he's panicking and forgetting all that stuff. But you just realize totally. all of those Eastern German border towns were so, not to say that nothing, uh, you know, they were impenetrable or anything, but they had such a tight mindset around espionage and people getting across the border either way, right? Like defecting or, or coming from the West that if you're panicky, uh, middle-aged wannabe agent. It, it seems like every single person he meets, within two minutes of talking to him, knows what he's up to. Yeah, um, and the, the the train scene is just kind of it's just one of the examples of they show him doing everything wrong. Yeah. Where mm -hmm. when they were telling him about travel, they were like, "The first thing you have to show before you pay money is your identity card." Every time you have to show your identity <laughs> card, and then he just tries to hand money when he shows up, and they're yeah. like. The guy's like, what are you doing? Everyone yeah. knows you need yeah. to hand your identity card. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. A, a lot of people think, yeah, when they first meet him, they're like, oh, this guy's going to get me into trouble. <laughs> and then uh, um, uh, the woman that he meets is basically like, oh, maybe I can get in some tr trouble with this guy. Yeah, or exactly. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the only, that's the entire reason she wants to be with him is yeah. it sounds like you're going to get into trouble and I, I'm, I'm just looking for trouble. Yeah. Um, 
so he meets that girl and, and uh, at a hotel that he's trying to get a room at, which is full. Um, and he starts kind of asking her questions. And it's quite interesting because it starts falling apart so quickly where he says, you know, was this town, you know, were the roads closed? Was the train station closed? And she's like, no, nothing's ever been closed. What are you talking about? Yeah. So he's like, OK, well, I got to make my report. So he, he ends up in this um, hostel, basically. And, um, you know, he has to set up this, you know, it's a very complicated piece of, of equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, he has to ground it in a certain way connected to a pipe and it can't be a hot water pipe. And he has to put the um, aerial up a certain way. And, you know, it, it's a quite intense thing for, I, I'm sure, you know, a very good agent to do, let alone um, Lizer. So he, he kind of gets that all set up. And, and it's actually, it's written in quite an effective way because he's going over all the details he has to do. And he's so focused on every little detail, every step of the way that when he started um, transmitting, I totally forgot about the crystals too. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he he's kind of pretty, I think, happy with himself. He's kind of writing and and putting his code in, or his message into Morse code. He's remembering all the groupings and, you know, the, the, um, uh, the, all the different pieces of code he has to put in there. He starts transmitting, but he's still transmitting very slow. And then it all of a sudden flips back to the farmhouse where they're receiving him and they're just freaking out. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. He's been going for three minutes, yeah, four yeah, minutes, yeah. five minutes, sure. six minutes when he's supposed to be switching the crystals every two minutes. And so pretty much dead on. Uh, we flipped to, I, I can't remember if it was an East German or a Soviet. Um, I think there was, the sergeant was East German and then the captain was, was <clears throat> Soviet. And it's funny, the only one who really knows what's going on or what to do is this sergeant in the East German army who right. remembers it from the World War II. <laughs> and he was, this is like, he's like, wait, do I know this guy? Like, he's like, did I hear this guy transmitting in France? Yeah. Like this yeah, guy yeah. who was slow, which is where Lizer got caught. Right. And he's like, he was slow then, but no one was this slow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's such a perfect dark comedy. Cause it's not even written. It's not written in a comedic way. No, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's hard. It's hard not to laugh at just how in, in Lizer's mind, like he's panicky, but it seems like he's kind of got it together and he's doing it well. And it flips to the, the operations team and then to uh, the, the East German Soviet team. And they're both like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's pretty yeah. good. Um, yeah. So anyway, the, yeah. basically he's, he's made like immediately. Um, and it's pretty clear too, that I think even if he didn't fuck up, then it was only a matter of time. That totally. He was yeah. Yeah. You know, he was, I mean, there was no the next couple of days when he, when he, killed someone the minute he stepped onto East German soil, there was no way he was getting, unless he he had literally turned around then, there was no way he was getting out alive. So then at this point, um, the news of this reaches smiling control. And it's quite interesting because I think there's, there's something going on. It seems, and I, and I wasn't totally clear that I think control maybe had some, you know, through an agent likely in the East German intelligence, yep. he was either communicating to them or hearing news directly from him, them where like he's, he basically knew what was going on this whole time effectively. I mean, I think control basically is very obvious. He let this go on because he knew it would yeah. destroy the department. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. And it would finally bring them under him. And yeah. I, you know, I think this, this is, you know, it, this is one of the books where Smiley looks the worst, I think. Yeah, he looks he, pretty, um, not 
not evil, but he but he's, he's very like, harsh. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. But he also he tries to like play it off. He's like, oh, control. At first, he's like, control. You did this. Like, how could you do this? Like, you, you. Yeah. But it was very obvious. He, I mean, it's Smiley. He like did it. He sure. knew what was going on. Like, he can't pretend yeah. he didn't know what was going on. And then he goes and plays the good soldier, even if he had, you know, misgivings and was like, abandon makes them abandon Lizer in mm-hmm. in germany for the good of the, the you know for the sure. good of uh britain and the circus, and everything yeah. in the circus yeah. yeah ultimately for the good of the circus right i mean and that's the that's the you know control's always been a great uh, well-written character and um I, I whenever he speaks in any book i think lecrae does such a good job of he has so much I, character in the way totally. he talks. and i also i cannot read him talking in the book without hearing it in John Hurt's voice. Which yes. <laughs> cool. Thing too. Uh, I mean, it's fun because control really doesn't show up in a lot. He's such no. a memorable character, but yeah. he's in so few scenes throughout all yeah. the books. I mean, and it is fun until you get to like, except for like the Carla books, you know, smiley yeah. really, you know, there's smiley books, but he's yeah. really not the main characters of, a lot of the books that are no. smiley books, um, which is kind but of, it's like the, right? the but end, sure. I mean, the end is kind of like a deus ex smiley where he, sure. he like <laughs> drops in and say, well, not even saves the day, just cleans up everything. Yeah. Um, and it's what, know, when he, yeah. Yeah. It makes the book very entertaining, but it's also like, you can tell uh, from the introduction that John LeCarre does that that's, he sees it as one of the main weaknesses that, yes. you know, he had to yeah. sort of, Yep. wrap the fail spy stuff around uh, a successful operation to destroy the yep. department basically yep. or something like that. So yeah. even though that they're sort of, you know, these, uh, you know, it, it, it makes the intelligence world look pretty bad in different ways, but it's still like, Ooh, what a clever plot or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think too, it also, it, it, it illustrates so much more how, the agents for them and Lizer in particular in this story are, just mean so little that he's yes. basically sacrificed uh, for an interdepartment rivalry, basically. Sure. Like, yeah. This is, uh, you know, a, a human who served in World War II for the British at great cost to himself. You, you know, he obviously um, uh, did an incredibly dangerous work, was even captured. And and they you know smiling control. I don't even know if they mention him at all when they're talking about that you know control kind of fucking over the operation in some way. Like they, they could not care less that this guy is is dead um, for all intents and purposes. Totally. Uh, yeah. Or mm-hmm. or in East German prison for life, which is you know next to dead, I suppose. So um so yeah so basically control and smiley find out and the ministry says okay smiley you need to go uh and wrap this up so it's kind of funny there there's still a not optimism but i think there's still this sense of okay well maybe he maybe there's a way we can salvage this um and uh, leclerc's talking about oh the minister's sending someone over with some important information Smiley walks through the door and is says basically, you know, uh, rubs his hands together or slaps them together. He's like, all right, we're done here. Um, <laughs> everyone go home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this chapter, I think the first chapter in this chapter really stand out to me. You have this, every character is doing something different and it's all perfect. Avery at this point is because he, he's gotten to like Lizer quite a bit and he's like pleading with them and, and he doesn't even understand 
what do you mean we, we can't abandon him sure. he, he's an agent in the field what are you talking about we can't we have to try and get him out um and there and as he's saying that and you know sobbing johnson's just wrapping up the equipment <laughs> like they're already kind of taking the operation down and, and he he can't even understand that they would give up um mm-hmm. and then meanwhile leclerc i think this him in this scene i think is, is total per, totally perfect he he moves on from the operation that he was so invested in. He was so hyped about this. He moves on from it and it basically is like it never happened in about 10 seconds. Yeah, he's got that survival instinct sort of thing where mm-hmm. he, yeah. he assesses the new information and then goes, okay, I'm in a new direction now, basically. Yeah. Kind of thing. So, yeah. He's an agile, um, you know, modern leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's sad too because uh, you know he's been making mention of this um, report in in Budapest and troop movements, and he, in the midst of that, he has the kind of balls to bring it up to Smiley and Smiley's like, "Oh, that does sound very interesting. Yes, yeah, yeah, we'd yeah. like to take a look at that." Sure. And he, it's just anything he can do to stay relevant in in some yeah. way. And Haldine yeah. seems like he doesn't really give a shit. Um, yeah. And it seems like Control's main plan the whole time is he he just wanted to integrate that research department into the circus, basically. Sure. And sort of give them one last uh, punctuation mark of why you shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. You are children playing children's games. And, and <laughs> we, are the, we are the adults and uh, look how foolish you are. Um, yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting, too, because Smiley does this whole uh, breakdown of why it's actually... <clears throat> I, I think there's... You, you come to this realization that control and smile, they probably wouldn't have let it get to this far if they thought there was any real harm that would come from it. Yeah. But they're like, the piece of equipment's super old. He's going to be, uh, you know, put on TV and, and forced to um, uh, confess. So it's going to look like a show trial. The equipment's super old. So it's going to be e- really easy to say, of course, that wasn't an agent. You think we'd give him, uh, you know, yeah. transmitter technology from World War II? <laughs> Are you stupid? Sure. And they, um, uh, they, you know, they're going to spread rumors that he was having an affair and was a criminal and right, right. make him look awful. And he's already sort of like an outsider in the sense that he's Polish and, you yeah. know, all this sort of, st- sort of stuff around it where it's like, you know, he wasn't like uh, a big asset for them really kind of thing and stuff. Yeah. And even though he, you know, he had war service that would, should be respected maybe, but like, it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's, uh. It's expendable from all angles, kind of. Thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Which is where you get that thing where you realize, oh, so the incompetence of the operation wasn't just so that it would fail, but more importantly, it was that. So when it does fail, it's super easy to distance yourself from. Sure. Because it was just so yeah. incompetent mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that there's no way anyone would buy that this is, you know, was actually a British intelligence agent. Yeah. Uh, it is just too incompetent. Yeah, and the stuff with the passport being canceled then in retrospect becomes more kind of like maybe there was different times where they were trying to trip them up and different things yeah. and kind of create like a arc for them where these things would have failed or or whatever and and yeah. uh, they never really clued in at that point, you know. So, yeah. You also start wondering too, you know, was Taylor's death maybe it was on purpose, but it sure. wasn't East Germans that said yeah. it, right? I mean, yeah. You you certainly can't put that past uh 
past the circus, those wily bastards. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's a part that's pretty interesting in the Wikipedia. And, and so this part was in my book. I assume it was in both of yours based on what we've talked about. But it says, the following ending does not appear in the original novel. And it's the part where Smiley explains, explains that Lizer's total ineptitude combined with his old equipment will make it easier for him not to say he's a spy. Leclerc and Haldane are tempted further by the extension of the, the department's research section at the circus with more funding. Wells Avery weeps about the mission's failure. Having successfully escaped the hotel, he takes refuge with the girl and the police encircle him and storm the apartment. So apparently yeah. that wasn't in the original novel, which is oh, crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like that the, is, in my mind, the best part of the book. The part where they like track him down wasn't in the... Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I mean, that's what I was kind of saying uh, early on when I was saying about like how I did feel like because I had read the, the introduction first and where he says that like he kind of regrets maybe putting the smiley stuff in and all that kind of thing. I, uh, I thought that like I kept editing out things that got away from the basic idea kind of thing. Right. Sure, that. So sure. I was looking at stuff like that and kind of thinking to myself, Oh, you know, you can kind of look at different moments where he's indulging the audience a bit in different ways yeah. and uh, making it a little little too simple in terms of like the whole arc of the story yeah. which is what he does in uh wh which was what his problem with the uh, um his first like the the spy who came in from the cold that's that's right. sort of his his concern about that novel where it, it's a little too tidy so this one he tried to make it very very messy but it still has that basic kind of arc to yeah. it that has to happen to be a successful book i think in his yeah. mind so yeah yeah mm -hmm. for sure um God, I'm, I'm forgetting the name. What was the last book? Uh, what was the the last book we did, Max? Um, a little no, no, no. no Silverview, Silverview, Silverview. Silverview. Yes, yes. I, um, I I think with that one, there there was this thing where, and again, there's a lot of factors that probably played into this. Where there were times where it was a little bit difficult to actually tell what some of the spy parts of the plot meant and and what actually happened. Um, you know, what information was actually sent and, and who got what. Um, and, and I do wonder at times where you probably could have written this without a lot of, with a less of the smiley control stuff and left it not ambiguous, but left it where you kind of had to read between the lines a little bit more to kind of realize yeah. that all that stuff was happening. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe, yeah, initially he tried to hold some of that out and keep it a bit more ambiguous, but I mean, I thought that scene was really good. So I'm yeah. glad that the, it sure. made its way back into the book. Yeah. So. I guess no, I really my, enjoyed it. Yeah. My my question for you two is what do you think he was captured or do you think he was killed? Lizer? Oh, yeah. like at the end there where at it the basically fades to black. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't think imagine, it really matters. But yeah, yeah I, I would imagine, to be honest, that they, they were going to capture him alive. And they, they, kept, they didn't yeah. care that he had the knife to that girl's neck. Like, totally. Totally. They, they would have shot through her to incapacitate him. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm guessing they captured him alive. And it's probably the same fate, effectively, that, you know, Lamus had before they broke out. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. a show trial, kept in a prison, beaten up uh repeatedly until he either kills himself or you know dies with d uh, or they trade him for yeah yeah, yeah someone sure. in the west yeah yeah mm -hmm. i wouldn't be surprised if control had already effectively worked out like you know you're gonna catch this guy we'll trade you this guy for him in, yeah. in a month or whatever yeah, so, yeah. um yeah so anyway that that was that um a very 
One thing I didn't touch on that that maybe deserves some mention is I also think the relation that the the relationships between some of the characters and their wives were as depressing as any relationships. Sure. Yeah, just the pure hatred between some of the characters from themselves to their wives and from their wives to them was so palpable. It, it, mm-hmm. Some of those scenes were almost uncomfortable. Sure. Um, at how you know. That's classic Lacare. Every single character in every one of his books has to have a, a loveless yeah. marriage. But these were like hate-filled marriages. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And they, they I mean, also this, this yeah. makes oh, I was gonna say this makes George and Anne Smiley's yes. marriage look like perfect and loving. <laughs> exactly. They're not like screaming that they hate each other. Yeah. yeah. They also sort of, you know, voice a lot of the absurdity of the situation for the novel kind of thing. Like they can they can kind of go like you know, why do you think you're playing around at this kind of stuff or whatever and stuff? Yeah. um, uh, Avery's wife sort of plays into the whole, like, you know, this, this, that it's basically a stupid thing that he's Mm -hmm. putting himself into kind of thing and believes it at this really deep level. And that's something we haven't really talked about, but probably deserves mention is all the stuff around the second vow and like this idea of like, like this, uh, basically I, you know, I, I called it drinking the Kool-Aid, but yeah, just this buying into the logic of yeah. the intelligence agencies and buying into the logic of the cold war and as like a personal mission and things like that. Yes. And uh, um, I thought that was really interesting. A lot of that stuff in it and yeah. um, sort of the different like zigzags that takes in terms of like, you know, what that can specifically mean for each person in their lives and stuff like that. And I don't know, I thought that was really good. So, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, you, you said path dependency before, which I think is a really great way of framing it and i think that uh, that comes to light and is a lot of i think the uh, thing that pissed lacare off the most is that these institutions seemingly um at some point after the war exist purely to keep the momentum for their operation going and the funding Mm -hmm. going yeah and but in order to do that they need people to be drinking the kool-aid in one way shape or form you, yeah. you can't, I think, I don't think you can run something like that with total cynicism. You have to have some people who are bought in and true believers mm-hmm. or people who can at least trick themselves into thinking they're true believers. Yeah. Um, and it's the combination of those two things. And, you know, the, the, I think the disgust, I, I think it's so clear in this book that Bakare hates the way that agents were treated. <laughs> I mean, sure. he makes that clear a lot, like in Tinker Taylor with uh, what's his name? Um, not Rory. Uh, anyway, the, the kind of main agent in Tinker Taylor um, that that is lost that they find later. Uh, you know, they, they I think LeCure, there's an interview, I think it was his, maybe potentially his last interview he gave. And there's a question that the interviewer asks of him about, you know, did you ever, he basically says, did, did you ever get anyone killed? And Lacare kind of looks off into the middle distance and says, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. And yeah. you do get the sense that he was involved in some of this and probably deeply regrets the fact that they sacrificed these agents like they were lab rats, you know? Sure. Yeah. I thought that. So just to, I guess, to say what it is, like the first vow is supposed to be like sort of joining up in different ways and stuff and sort of committing to the service in different ways. And then the second vow, uh, it sort of becomes this uh, way of, it's it's commitment to the it's not even like uh one institution or another so true believer mm-hmm. it's true that they're true believers to some extent but 
it's also sort of like true non-believers kind of thing like they're true they're 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 committed to to the intelligence circles and stuff like that uh 100% to the point where it doesn't really matter to them what the mission is it doesn't really right. matter to them what who wins and stuff like that i think that's it's sort of hinted as well that like that's why maybe they're also fine with like doesn't matter really who the government is they might they might have these sort of biases where they hate the germans or whatever and stuff like that right. but not really like it doesn't really matter who uh who's it's it's more kind of like they're playing the game and that's the fun yeah. kind of thing. And, that's it. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. more like you, you've bought into the idea of playing the intelligence game and being a part of the intelligence industry as opposed to bought into the idea of, you know, serving God and country and that. Type sure. Of thing. And and it's, you know, it's not like the Cold War is a fake thing, too. I mean, that's you right. know, I mean, it's like it might be like functional in a certain way where like, you know, both the Soviet Union and uh, United States and, and its allies and things like that, like it, it kind of serves political aims to yes. have this rivalry in itself kind of thing and stuff like that. Right. Like they can play it off each other and stuff. Yeah. I get that, but it's also like, you know, the things that they're talking about aren't completely out of thin air. Like there are missile sites in different yeah. places. There are there maybe the not Cuban that one, crisis. but like, you know, yeah. there was a Cuban missile crisis. <laughs> uh, these border agents exist and stuff like that. Like, it's not like the fantasies that they're kind of spinning off into things, uh, you know, they, they, it, it, it really gives them a certain, it's not just incompetence. It's also dangerous in a certain way that yeah. these games uh, keep escalating problems that maybe, you know, would not have been as dangerous if, uh, you know, if uh, maybe there was more cooperation instead of like these weird rivalries that people set up for right. themselves and stuff. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, the interbranch rivalry thing, you, you get the sense from that all the time that, and, and, I, and I even think about it sometimes now with, you know, modern militaries and intelligence that why, why do these things constantly have to be split into these different organizations? Why isn't there more of an umbrella operation organization that um, says, you know, that this is the most inefficient way to run this? Why do we have one operate, one organization doing internal intelligence and one doing external and they don't talk and they don't you know you know what i yeah. mean there's yeah. this inherent i think insanity about the way these things are run uh that you know if you want to take these threats and things seriously and we're looking for what's the best possible way we, we can actually uh seek these things out and and stop these these threats you would never set set things up this way right and i think it goes even beyond that to the point of like why were was there a cold war in this specific way right. or something like that? Like, yeah, you know, for sure. why why are they trying to you know fight all these bizarre wars and stuff like that? Why are they all doing all these things to each other? And it's not it's not really that there's not an argument for that. Maybe you know I think that that's that's fine. But like on either side or whatever, mm -hmm. it's it's more that like they take it so for granted so much of it that it makes it so that like it structures so much of their lives that it gives them that sense of purpose that yeah. makes it makes them feel like they can sacrifice anyone they want or yeah. can do anything they want because they're like, well, average people, you know, it's for them in some, to some extent, like it's for yeah. their security and peace and all that kind of thing. But they're just cattle basically. I mean, yeah. they just, they just, they're just out there. They don't understand what's going on. We're the people that understand what's going on. We have to kind of look into these things and, you know, there are maybe in the book some kind of like hints of like the politics of it kind of thing where the minister has yeah. some sort of oversight and stuff. 
But a lot of that seems like the oversight is kind of, you know, like silly or something like that, or yeah, not really yeah. well thought out or whatever. So yeah. Anyways, well, it comes into that um, idea that seems to be kind of popular now too, which is this elite capture kind of concept too. Totally. <clears throat> which which I think Lecrae, you know, politically seems to be against that in in, in some ways, and uh, as Vegas as politics are at times, I think that's something that comes across clear in his books too, that the people involved in these agencies, like you say, Don, certainly see themselves as separate and above the hoi polloi. Yeah. I mean, they talk about at one point, they talk about like their disdain for like the civil servants on the like, right. uh, On the, on the other, on the kind of the ministry side of Mm -hmm. why are they kind of have to answer to them? They kind of see them as above it all that they, they shouldn't. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. have to report to these people. And I think you can kind of possibly get a good idea of what John le Carre's actual thoughts and ideas were, at least at the time he wrote the book, in that Avery is like almost the exact same age as John le Carre was at the time yeah. he was writing. Mm-hmm. So like you can tell that, you know, kind of the people above Avery, are, he, he's probably basing those on people he knew and and, you know, maybe not exactly, but like kind of general people he had to interact with and deal with. And then, you know, he, he kind of, you might see him as coming in like Avery is kind of gung ho and then having these missions blow up in his face. And he ends up writing these really depressing. Exactly. Uh, You can't help in that scene where he's sobbing. Yeah. I I couldn't help connect that to that interview where, you know, I'm sure that's exactly the process he went through, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, saw people die or was a part of operations that went wrong and where people died or were captured. And um, yeah, I mean, if you have a conscience at all, I, I, I can't imagine how, uh, how that would destroy. You know. I think, yeah, I think the closest he gets to giving like his full kind of real views is where they have like a, a few pages. I think it's a page 184 in my version, but like, it's a, it's sort of this like allusion to George Orwell in it where he starts yeah, to talk yeah. about like double think and paradox yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he sort of tries to make, uh, you know, my sort of summary of it would be something like he, uh, he says, this isn't double think. Like it's not, it's not people saying, okay, I believe in freedom, but then I have the freedom to kill or something like that right, kind of right. thing. Like it's not, it's not just that it's more like unthink. Like it's just yeah. plodding along people. Yeah. Uh, and the second vow for him is not, it's not, the second vow is not pure irrationality. It's mm-hmm. more like pure selfishness or something like that yeah. or something, you know, it's not like them saying, I am so committed to these, to this particular system yeah. that, uh, I'm willing to do anything, even if it's contradictory mentally or something like that. It's more sort of more cynical than that. Even it's more, it's sadder than that. It's that yeah. we're willing to do anything and we don't even have good reasons. Right. Yeah. 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 It's 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 a very Zizekian thing, I guess. In a way. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Where it's that kind of (laughs) you you know you see the ideology, but you still have to replicate it, kind of. Sure. Um, Yeah. That type of thing where you you can't you can't escape it. Um, I mean, that's 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 Smiley's whole career is like him kind of looking at it and maybe being disgusted at points, but then going and doing it anyway yeah 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 and i think that there's a lot tied up in that too where where um you know which avery brings to light a lot where these people who are are you know bred through these certain institutions 
and, and they just see themselves as like, I shouldn't have to be toiling away in a publishing house. Like I, sure, I should yeah. be at the center of the important world uh, changing events in the world. You know, I sure. I'm owed that. And yeah. so I need to be part of this. And I think that type of attitude also drives a lot of the insanity around decisions um, and operations and missions like this, where there's this, this kind of, um, yeah, like I have to be responsible for things happening that sure. are, are, impact the world in a major way. It's not good enough for me to just, you know, copy edit a book. Yeah. I have I, to get an agent killed in the field or I, I, it, sure. it, yeah, I, I'm worthy of something more meaningful, you know? And the whole logic of the actual mission in the book is sort of, you know, it's not, it's not really about really maybe this, this or that missile or something like that. It's more about like, we have to bring this to a head. We have to, yeah, you know, marshal all of our forces in this little intelligence agency to let people see that there's a real threat out there that they have to yeah. confront. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's easy to forget in retrospect that like there were lots of people in the different intelligence agencies or like around the military and stuff that wanted a war, like a direct yeah, oh, for sure. on yep. war and stuff. And, yeah. and yep. saw a lot of this stuff as like betrayal and were convinced that the governments were riddled with all these different spies and that's why they weren't going to war and stuff. And, yeah. Um, so that's kind of like the underlying thing in that. But I think you also sort of get a little bit from Smiley maybe with the sort of giving them the bad equipment, all this kind of stuff Yeah. that, the actual missions at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if they go to war with East Germany or not. Like they don't, they're not for that really. They're more kind of like, we got to manage this situation yeah. kind of thing. Like we need to, uh, he's more kind of in the more conservative kind of business as usual camp, maybe in those ways where it's like, yeah. okay, we need to, uh, play like a little bit of a game back and forth and maybe over like 30, 40 years we'll win or something, but not really yeah. kind of like, uh, well, he has that know. very, um, he, it always struck me that he had that very, he had that very um, kind of modern liberal uh, Democrat type of attitude of nothing is working well, but, but we need to be, we're the responsible manager, managers of this, sure. of this yeah. mess. You know? and, oh, and, that, and sort of like that the reasonable people on both sides had to be there to sort of keep things from going yeah, too exactly. far or something. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, great, great book. I thought. Um, I guess just to sum up, I'll I'll go first. For me, I I read part of this before. It's one of those weird novels where I think I I probably made it um, into the Avery run the first time I read it and put it down for one reason or another, and never picked it up again. Um, but but on reading it this time, really enjoyed it, and particularly the the ending last couple chapters. I, I had this moment last night when I finished it, where I just laid in bed in dark, in the dark, uh, staring at this <laughs> oh, yeah. for a while. Okay. Um, uh, and, and it was, uh, yeah, I was really affecting. And as you can tell from this conversation, I think there's so, there's a lot to dig into in most Lacare books, but I thought this had much more meat on the bone than I was even expecting. So yeah. I, I mean, I this is this, uh, like an A, I suppose, for, for my, myself. Don, what did, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I really liked it as well. Um, I, it was sort of a perfect book for me in terms of like, I have the exact sort of same cynical sort of attitude towards right. Spy World and stuff like that. Like, I really yeah. like this kind of stuff. And, um, it you know, it does have that sort of romantic thing to it still where it's, you know, just because it's uh, 
absurd and stupid in different ways. Like it's also got that, you know, center of the action still exciting. stuff. It's still exciting and yeah. fun. And it did make me, it sort of pushed me over the hill in terms of like, I really liked uh, Spy Who Came In From The Cold. This one sort of solidified it and seeing like the, not not the opposite, but sort of like the other side of that whole coin in different ways and like yeah. emphasized a lot of his themes where I feel like I'm going to go on and read a lot of the other ones now kind of like yeah. afterwards and stuff. I'll probably, I got Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, I'll probably read oh, that great. one next just because uh, I, you know, I've seen the movie and stuff. So it's kind of like, I'm, I've got a little bit of familiar with it and stuff and like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll step by step, I'll kind of work through the rest and stuff. So um, we'll, we'll yeah. get you back so, on for one of the other smiley books. Cause I think um, there's a lot of uh, grist for the mill in those ones too. Um, yeah. Cool. And it's uh, you're hitting, you're hitting some of the best ones. Cause there are as much as I think both of us are big John le Carre fans as obvious that we started a podcast. There are some, <laughs> There's some rougher ones yeah, that sure. he have been published. Uh, he's definitely not, you know, he's not batting a thousand. No, uh, no. But, but you know sure. what? I do find the more of his more, um, not necessarily modern in when he wrote them, but modern subject matter, I suppose. Yes, yes. I, sure. I found myself enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would originally because I kind of thought maybe his politics might be uh, kind of annoying in those settings, but I've actually found them to be... Um, quite quite good and 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 at least he presents these more modern settings in a still a very interesting way even though you know it's not as though he was involved in any intelligence work in in the 2000s right but but it, it, you know they still i think he still does a great job there so completely yeah so i don't know max do you have any any final thoughts on the book what do you think yeah i, I uh, mean i i really love this book it's it's one of my favorites i don't think i don't think i'd call it my favorite but it's it's definitely a very good book it's very you know, it's short, it's taught, it's, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not the Taylor of Panama that kind of goes like yeah. 450 pages. So, um, I, I really enjoy it. And I think it's a very good counter, you know, follow up to Spy Who Came From The Cold. Yeah. I know I, I won't put words in Emma's mouth, but I know she loves this book. This yeah, is I think this is her. I'm, I'm, so I'm kind sure of, we're going to have to get her to talk yeah. about it at least a bit on the next episode yeah, she's will, on. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think I'd, I'd give it probably maybe an A, A minus somewhere, yeah. you know, a 93, somewhere around there. Okay, we're going like that. Yeah. He's um, getting, he's passing his A level English or whatever. They yeah, call it. exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not, I just, I guess I'm probably doing that because it's like, it's not Spy Who Came From The Cold for me. It's not Tinker Taylor. You know, yeah. there is, yeah. he has done better. So, but it's right that's, there. I, I, I honestly think the thing for me is, the pacing of the book and, and, you know, yes. you, you know, it drags a bit in the middle and I think I can yeah. see people being turned off by that section. You know, if you don't love radios, <laughs> maybe <laughs> it could get yeah. a bit boring, but um, I, like I said, I think the first chapter and the ending, maybe three chapters are, are top level and Completely. you know, it, it's not, it's, it's brief enough at least that you get through that middle stuff. Um, but God, that the beginning stuff and the end stuff, you, you, that is, um, as good of, uh, you know, thriller spy writing, I think, um, in a smart way that you can get. completely, completely. I actually, I really like the middle chapters to be honest. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, don't get me wrong. I thought that sure. stuff was great, but I think if you're talking about, um, you know, entry points or, or where, sure, sure. where sure. this might fit in for the, the average, um, reader, 
you know, I can see this as opposed to Spy Who Came In From The Cold, where it's pretty much nonstop yeah. pull, pulling you through and, and quite in, uh, active. Sure. That middle section uh, slows down just in terms of the pacing, I guess. And, mm-hmm. uh, you I know, think the, yeah. The one thing you can say, though, compared to, say, Spy Who Came From The Cold and, and uh, Tinker Tailor is that the plot is much more straightforward. It's not nearly as, like, yes. you know, trying to uncover like the very you know like yeah like, like three levels down of like what is actually happening it's, yeah. it's fairly straightforward and it's very you know it's, it's ambiguous it's, enough at the no, beginning exactly about, yeah i mean that you're not but, clear what's happening but yeah. like there's not there's not like you know you're not going down to like where like oh lamas was like sent in there's like three different levels of why lamas is there yeah 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 exactly. or lemus or however you actually pronounce yeah, it yeah <laughs> exactly um one, one last interesting point I'll make is that there was a movie apparently that I had no idea was made. It was made in 1969. Um, a young Sir Anthony Hopkins played Avery. So I, I want to see it just because I can only picture Anthony Hopkins as like 65 years old. So yeah, I can't even um, imagine what he looked like when he was young. <laughs> um, so I really want to see it just for that. But honestly, I, I could see this being quite an interesting movie. And I think like a lot of Lecrae's stuff, you, you can kind of envision a lot of the scenes um, mm-hmm. as as interesting drama scenes because it's a lot of people in a room talking type scenes, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I definitely want to check that out. So hopefully maybe that's the way we can get Emma to talk about it. Maybe we watch that. Mm-hmm. That's how my um, mom knew about it, actually. I said, I oh, said really? I was reading this and she said, oh, like the movie. Oh, and that's crazy. Like, yeah. That's so interesting. So, um mm-hmm. Did she say what she thought of it? Did she I like it? I don't think she's ever seen it. I just think that oh, okay. it, it okay, was like okay, from okay. her youth or something. So, yeah. Okay. Sure. Well, maybe we'll have her on for the movie review. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, Don, thanks so much for thanks joining. So much. That was yeah. super uh, fun yeah, was to have of, you on. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, Don is, you know, we're not getting you any new Twitter followers, Don. So I'm not even. <laughs> okay. Sure, uh, yeah. I, 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 but if there's any, any, any help there. But if there's anything um, else you, you can't want to win, plug, yeah, you can't yeah. win is Don's podcast, and it's a great podcast. Uh, I've been completely I've been a long-time listener, and I can't recommend it highly enough. It's one of yeah, my thanks. favorites. So, yeah, definitely so check out you can't win if you're listening to this. Uh, I, I I really appreciate it, and as you can tell, Don's a, a smart guy. You know, <laughs> okay, despite thanks. his tweeting, no, just kidding. Sure. Oh wow. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, thanks a lot, Don. I, oh no, it was a lot of fun. Now. I loved it. Yeah. So thanks. Great. Great. All right. Well, that's it for us. We will sign off and uh, talk to you again soon. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.